Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that brings you inside NRG Stadium. It's Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. We're going to have some fun tonight. And also, later on in the show, D.B. City is going to catch up with an expert from Georgia on some of the Georgia players that are available in this draft. And draft is a huge topic right now, of course, with the Texans acquiring 700 picks in the next three years. <laughs> it just feels like that. But it's going to be a lot of selections and in this very building, they are working on it right now, trying to figure out who to take and where and do you trade. And, of course, situations that will come up that will not even be presented to them until draft weekend or slightly before it. Johnny, good evening. It's an exciting time of year, no doubt about it. Well, it definitely is. And I know that my uh, my friends from AM will tell you, Hey, John, anytime you could take a trip to God's country, it's always a good thing. And that's what I did today. Although I will mm. say, Mark, starting your drive at 615, going through one of the worst thunderstorms I've ever gone through Ooh. is not, not easy and not fun. But I, did, but I got down to AM um, today and had a chance to go check out the prospects at AM, uh, which is always, it's always a blast. And I saw all of our guys down there. I saw Nick. Of course, he was on with Sean and Seth, which is fun to listen to as I was driving. And I was like, man, I wonder if Nick is on the same road I am right now as he's doing this interview. And he was. He was on the exact same road because we were both going to College Station. Uh, saw Coach Smith. Had a chance to talk to Lovey for a little bit. So that was fun. Uh, then saw our scouts. Saw James Lipford, Director of College Scouting, which I think um, it's Assistant Director of Personnel, I think, is his official title. But Lip knows it, man. He is. Uh, he's all about it. And AM Pro Day is always interesting because I think back to 2014 when before I had gotten in the building with you and I had gone down to see AM Pro Day and Drake is blaring from the speakers. President Bush has driven in in the golf cart, um, W that is, right. and not W, uh, HW comes in, he's got his dog. There are people everywhere. And Johnny Manziel comes in and puts on puts on a show. And I was actually talking to I was talking to Coach Smith about it today. And he's like, Yeah, I think one of the last times I was here was and when everybody mentions that event, the first thing they mentioned is Johnny Manziel. And he mentions Mike Evans. And so I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, Mike was there. And then I realized, oh, wait a second. Lovey drafted Mike Evans in Tampa in 2014. So I turned to him at, after the dawn of me, I was like, Oh, yeah, Coach, you drafted Mike Evans, didn't you? So that was kind of cool to kind of sit and reminisce a little bit about that particular event. And it was fun. It's good to be down there. And maybe there'll be a, uh, an Aggie coming to the city of Houston to play for the Texans this year. Well, there are some attractive ones, no doubt. I mean, we talked about the Georgia players, and, and I know we're going to talk about all these prospects, Johnny, in the next few weeks. We've talked about some of them already. But let's just backtrack here because – I think that it's very exciting after yesterday's news that you get that extra fourth rounder in the mix yeah. that you begin day two with back-to-back -back picks that you have seven picks in the top 108 that you have five in the first three rounds this year and next year. And it gives you a whole lot of flexibility, a whole lot of options for Nick Casario. He can do a lot of different things with these selections and I think there should be a prop bet board. I know Sean Pendergast, <laughs> it's, he's built for this, Johnny. Likelihood of trading one of the first two picks. Likelihood of keeping both back-to-back -to -back top of the fourth round beginning day three. 
likelihood of keeping your second and the two thirds where they're at. I think there's going to be some movement. There's no doubt. He's going to look to stockpile picks maybe later on in future years, but he's also going to fall in love with certain players and not that that's a bad thing. He's going to want to move up. So he's shown us a few things so far from last year's draft where he ended up with five selections. I don't know what he's going to end up with now, but he's got 11 picks in this year's draft. Well, the one thing that he said, and you said, and I want to, he talked about today, and that was the fact of, of falling in love and emotion. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something that I think we all do. You know, the people that do this in the media, you know, myself and all of us that talk about it, you know, they're players. Oh, man, I love that guy. I mean, I say that all the time. I love that guy. I love that guy. Nick made a really good point in talking not only to, to us about it, but Sean and Seth, he talked about you got to take the emotion out of it. You've got to take the emotion out of it. And yes, you can be excited about players and you can like players and maybe you really want players. He said, but the trades on draft day are driven by players, players that, you know, teams want. I think back to the Saints in 2019, maybe 2018. I think it was 21 of these years. And the Saints really wanted Marcus Davenport. So the Saints traded up with, I think, the Packers to go get Marcus Davenport. That was a player that they had traded up to get. On draft day, there's always a player in mind. And so when I I think back to last year, when the Texans moved up, when Nick moved some picks this last year and then some actually from this year to move up, who'd they go get? Well, they had their eyes on Nico Collins. They were excited about that player. But one thing, the thing that Nick said that really kind of got my attention was not being emotional about that player because you're going to look at a situation where uh, you look at the board and you're like, hey, man, we got five uh, corners on the board and we pick 14 picks from now. Maybe we can move down and we can get one of those five corners and maximize our value versus I really like that corner right there. I want him over all the other four. I got to have him. I got to have him. And you fall in love with that guy. And that, give, and that keeps you from taking the opportunity of trading down and maybe getting more draft capital that you then can do more things with. So Nick emphasizing that I thought was really, really interesting about being or not being, most importantly, emotional in his role that he's got to just, what, what is this other team calling me for? What do they want to come up to get? And I think the player that's really starting to, to get the buzz, in, in large part because his pro day was today, is Malik Willis, the quarterback from Liberty. I'm seeing more and more mocks, of course, media-driven, that have Malik going two to Detroit. Some have him going six to Carolina, which means mm. maybe there's interest in a guy like Malik Willis that at number three in a draft that we didn't think, I didn't think, that teams would want to trade up there's no quarterback to trade up for. Well, maybe there's one emerging. And because maybe it's only one that's emerging, maybe it creates a market to come up to number three. And now there's a little bidding war and say, oh, well, the commanders are given this and the Steelers are given this. What are you going to do for it, Carolina? Carolina, what are you going to do? Atlanta, you got to get in front of Carolina to get Malik Willis. What do you want to do? And the fact that Nick Casario has had trade conversations with Carolina, and he had one last year, and they talked about Deshaun. He did it with Atlanta. He's already had kind of some conversations about some things. Maybe that's one you pick up the phone and you go back to. 
and you figure that thing out. Look, you brought this up, so let's go down this road. We're just talking here. What would your level of surprise be if the Texans actually took a Malik Willis at number three overall? And how would that play out? Because people ask me that. Why would you eliminate the prospect of quarterback? Now, they have not done this. They have not eliminated any possibilities whatsoever. They've been supportive of Mills. Mills is the guy. Mills is going to start. No one's putting Mills in Canton. No one's putting Mills in a Pro Bowl. People are putting Mills in a starting lineup seat right now. And I think even if you drafted a Malik Willis, you're not saying that he would start day one either. Maybe it's a developmental thing. Maybe he would be ready. I don't know. But I am not going to discount any possibility because the Texans would be nuts to put it out there. And look, we're not trying to reveal anything or hide anything or whatever. We're just talking. The Texans would be nuts to put it out there that they were looking for a quarterback because then people are going to go to Jacksonville, try to make a deal with them. You're right about Detroit. That's an ideal spot right there to get a young guy in and have Jared Goff play in front of him if needed as the young quarterback develops, that would be an excellent situation. You know, I've been asked that question, Mark, about number three and Malik Willis. And this was, I think, after the senior bowl. I think Ron asked me that. Ron Hughley asked me that. And I said, no, I don't think three. But you know what? I'm never surprised by anything that ever happens in this league at all. And especially as it pertains to quarterbacks. And especially a guy that's uber-talented like Malik Willis. Now, there's there's a reason that he hasn't been thought of as a top three, top five guy. There are some inconsistencies in his game he's got to work through. But, man, this dude is really talented, really talented. And, of course, everybody loves watching Pro Day and seeing him throw 75-yard dimes. And he's got a hose. There's no question. And at Senior Bowl and at Pro Day, those are the times you can really see it. But his playmaking ability, that's really exciting. It's a guy that I could – I could absolutely see him play at number three. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I could see him play at number three. I just don't think the Texans will end up doing it. I just don't think that that'll happen. But knowing that he can be in that range, that it's going to attract, it's going to attract some teams to come and take a look at Malik Willis or at least call Nick and say, look, what's it going to take to get to number three so we can go get this guy? One more thing, Johnny. Marlon Mack reportedly visiting today. Your thoughts on what Marlon's got left in the tank to help a football team? Well, that you brought that you hit it right there. What's what's left in the tank? I mean, obviously injuries have have hurt him a little bit. Then last year there were you know periods of inactivity for whatever reason. Well, I know the main reason was Jonathan Taylor was was the guy yeah. and has taken over for the guy. But in 2018, that playoff game, man, Marlon Mack took that thing over. I mean, took it completely over so if he's got something left in the tank if the injuries have not eroded his skills and I don't think they have but I'd be very curious to see but man Marlon Mack bring him the building and see if he's still got it and let's let him compete okay thanks a lot Johnny coming up Travis Johnson you know him you love him Drew Doherty visits with him and where are they now you know where Travis is he's been around always interesting to hear from And from UGA Wire, it is going to be J.C. Shelton and D.P. Sidhu talking about Trevon Walker and some other Georgia prospects. You don't want to miss this because it's draft season, in case you didn't notice. It's Texans Radio. It's Texans All Access and the Texans with 11 selections in the 2022 draft getting ready for the big event late April, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
five picks in the first three rounds, two picks at the top of the fourth, seven in the first 108. You're going to hear me say that a lot. Just to remind you, Trayvon Walker is a prospect. He's from Georgia, and D.P. Sidhu has been catching up with reporters and others who cover these guys. So let's check in as we hear more about Walker and some other Georgia prospects as well from J.C. Shelton of Georgia Wire. J.C., first of all, thanks so much for joining us. And I know there's so many Georgia players to cover in this draft process, but I want to get your thoughts on Trayvon Walker. So welcome. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me, DP. Um, great to be here. And, and you're right. I mean, there's so many Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, we look at the combine, we had 14 guys. So, you know, I'm sitting around watching hours and hours of combine, and I'm catching <laughs> a Georgia Bulldog almost in every hour. It was fun to watch these guys who I've covered for a while, you know, get a chance to really show off their talents. And one guy that really stands out here is Trayvon Walker and who we're talking about here. I mean, just the way he performed in this combine to me is what's really shot him up draft boards. Like you said, it, we, we were talking um, before we started recording about how, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere, um, how draft boards all of a sudden had him top five. I know McShay, Todd McShay of ESPN has him at number five right now going off. Um, and that's after his combine performance where he went, you know, he's 6'5", 272. His reach is incredible. He runs a 4.51 on the 40, 6.893 cone, um, 35.5 vert. And that 10-3 broad. So the jumps right there is vertical and his broad and his 40 to me shows just the athletic ability he has from the jump. As a guy who's 272 pounds and can jump and move like that, um, it just shows you what he can do against blockers, oncoming blockers. So he can show you what he can do in the pass rush game um, against you know NFL left tackles and right tackles. You have to be explosive. Um, those guys are really quick and they're, and they're huge, right? So you've got to get push off those guys. And that shows me just those those quick times and those drills that he has what it takes. Um, and it's kind of a weird situation from him at Georgia. I mean, he came in in two, 2018, five-star recruit, highly coveted out of Thomason, Georgia, uh, number two defensive tackle in that class by 247 Sports. You know, he, he kind of sat behind some really talented guys at Georgia because Kirby Smart, he doesn't really play around uh, with the defensive line guys. I mean, he wants to stack as many, you know, blue chip recruits along that defensive line as possible. And what that does is, I mean, it allows Georgia um, and Kirby Smart's defense to rotate guys in, right? So you have guys who, like Jordan Davis in this draft, same draft, Devontae Wyatt. Um, these guys are really good. They weren't on the field all the time, right? They're rotating on and off. And so that's why Alabama kind of caught Georgia off guard in the championship by going hurry up and keeping the guys on the field who weren't used to being there a long time. Well, Trayvon Walker, he's the number one Georgia defender as far as defensive line and playing time this year. 56% um, of his plays, he was on the on the field for the defense, um, which is tops the defensive line. Um, he led the team, 36 QB hurries. And then one of his best games was that national championship versus Bama. Seven pressures in that game. And you want to talk about his personality a little bit. He was named team captain for two games this year, um, which is a big sign. You know, if you're, if you're looking for a guy who can come in and contribute, you know, put his head down, work hard, um, and have a good attitude about him, I think Trayvon is that guy just because what that shows us as being a team captain for this Georgia team, a team that went on to the national championship. So really, I think there's a lot of good signs that point for Walker, and that's why he's kind of climbing up here. You look at even his best games, let's say the best opponents Georgia played this year, you know, Clemson, you know, Michigan, Alabama, we'll throw Kentucky in there, Auburn, a lot of blue chip guys there. He had a sack versus each one of those teams. So I think he really plays up to his opponents as well. And just like I said, that, that physical freak that he already is, you can only build upon that. 
All right. That's, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's start where you begin with the combine performance. I want to ask you, since you've covered him, what surprised you more? Uh, the fact that he garnered the sort of attention he did with his combine performance or that he wasn't already on everyone's radar heading into the combine. The fact that he's a top five pick, possibly top one or two, according to some mock drafts. I mean, does that come as a surprise to you now, considering he wasn't really on anyone's radar before? Or, or did the combine performance itself surprise you? Well, I would say I was really surprised on the combine performance just because what I knew from listening to the guys who had been working him out and getting him prepared for the combine, just the way he had been putting up the numbers that he had. So I think, you know, the consensus, at least with the football writers here for, at Georgia, we kind of expected a big combine performance from him, along with Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis. Those guys were really just athletic freaks for their size. You know, but I will say just the aspect of him playing behind some really talented guys at Georgia and sharing time. And again, that defensive line, you know, blueprint for the Kirby Smart and the Georgia team is to rotate these guys. So he's not going to be on all the time, which is, you know, that'd be a good thing too. If you're thinking as an NFL team, you know, the miles on that guy's body, think of it like a, almost like a running back, you know, how many carries he gets. Well, you know, Trayvon, he hasn't been on the field as much as some other defensive linemen in this class. So he's got more fresh legs here. Um, he's got, you know, one of the best defensive minds in college football coaching him up for the last four years. So I think that the signs is good for that. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame um, anybody for not seeing Trayvon here just because like I said, the reps he got at Georgia. Yeah. Let's talk about those reps because you talked about all the Georgia guys that were at the combine eight players from that defense were at the combine. So, you know, when he's playing with a group of, of guys as talented as, as that front was, you know, how did he overcome that to get the meaningful snaps last year? Like, what did he do to really separate himself from some of the other defensive players for Georgia? Well, I think it started, you know, in his freshman season, even though he was playing behind some some really good senior guys who have been playing and have been starting for three years at that point. Malik Herring stands out as one of the guys that was was above him when he was a freshman. Um, he came in and he still contributed. He still played 12 games, which is big when you look at it, because of how many defensive linemen and, and you know, four and five star guys Georgia has on the team. So they knew that he was an athletic freak and somebody who could grow into a, a, a guy who could set the edge as a three, four defensive end, um, as well as develop into more of a pass rusher. That's what I'm looking forward to see uh, in his development in the next few years at the next level is his pass rushing development because Georgia and our system necessarily doesn't ask him to do that. Uh, we ask more of our outside linebackers to get that pass rush in. So I'm interested to see what his ability can be as a pass rusher in the future. I think it'll be big for him. Um, but like I said, you know, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis are on that defensive line. This year we had Jermaine Johnson who transferred to Florida State, and he's looking like a ten, top 10 pick too. I mean, he was on this team last year. So he, he's used to sharing time with those guys, but I think it could only make you better playing with guys like that right next to you. So I think he's he's almost used to that NFL type, you know, the, the guy next to you can take your job. And he's also a really, really good player too. So he's used to playing with those really good guys. He's listed as an interior defensive lineman mostly, but I've heard him talk about how he likes to play outside and along different spots on that D line. How much did Georgia move him up and down the defensive line when he was there? And do you think he made the case for himself to be an every down player if, if that case were to present itself? Yeah, so he did get a lot of looks, not only in the interior, but also in the outside. And honestly, Georgia liked to use him more on the outside. 
So he's 272, but the way he could it outrun guys, we, we saw four or five, one in the 40 at 272 is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that's scary. If I'm a running back or quarterback, I'm scared for my life if that guy's running for me right there. That's like not as bad as Jordan Davis at 340, uh, but it, it's crazy to think because you can use that speed as an outside guy and the size to close off the edge, but still reach and get running backs and get maybe these tight ends who are coming out in the flats and get the speed to get them. So I think he's really benefited from that. Um, from Georgia, kind of use him in different places because he has tape at, at, at multiple positions. So it can only help him. And I think, like I said, on the outside, I think he's going to surprise some people um, in his first few years of the way he can play on the outside. Yeah, I was going to ask you the strengths of his game compared to some of his other teammates, but it sounds like it's his speed and his versatility. I was reading somewhere that he played high school basketball. They won 71 consecutive games and back-to-back championships. And I saw footage of him. Mm-hmm. running. I mean, do you think that's going to be the thing that really separates him? Is, is his athleticism and his versatility from the other guys who are going to go in this draft class? I really do. Um, I think that's what it is. And, you know, those stats I gave you earlier with his cone drills and, and those things really show me that uh, just the versatility of his athleticism there. But what that kind of translates to as his position is being able to not only use his size to take on blocks, but also, you know, ranging, right? Chasing guys down. He was one of the best tacklers on the team. I mean, he doesn't miss tacklers because he has that speed and the size and the reach to get guys. And once he gets you, you're going down. It also, he had two pass breakups this year as well. Georgia dropped him in coverage every now and then. When we we do a lot of stunts, um, so you're going to send your linebackers and you're going to drop maybe a 3-4 defensive end like Trayvon Walker. So he's dropped before as well. And we, we know from those drills and his 40, the way he can move, the way he could bend at the knees as well in those drills, that he can drop back and cover a running back if he needs to, or maybe, you know, flash and, and cover a tight end over the middle if he needs to. You can use him in multiple ways. I think that's, like you said, one of the biggest parts of his game, athleticism, makes him a Swiss Army knife. You, you mentioned the championship run and some of the big games that he had last year, but in your time covering him, what's a memorable game or a moment or, or a, a matchup of Trayvon Walker's that, that really stands out in your mind? I know he had those seven uh, QB pressures uh, versus Alabama. He had another really good game against Clemson, uh, which was big. And that was the first game of the year. So you're coming out. Emotions are high. You know, you're not necessarily in game shape yet. So it's a big game for guys to kind of gauge where they're at heading into that. And for him, it was that final season he was going to head to the draft, you know, barring any injuries. He came out and he played great. And it was a tough, tough game. I don't know. If you remember, but it was 10 to three into the score. Georgia won by a touchdown, but it was back and forth a defensive battle. Both offenses really had trouble, but you look back and it was a top five defense for both teams, Clemson and Georgia, um, which is probably a big reason why. But, you know, at the biggest moments, you know, Trayvon Walker gets that sack versus DJ towards the end of the game and really helped close that game out for Georgia. And like I said, it was just a touchdown difference. So that that game was huge. And, you know, Georgia went on to win a national championship. But I just I think the way he was able to play really well and in a clutch moment, you know, get that sack versus DJ against a really good team in Clemson. And a guy's, I mean, a bunch of NFL guys on that team as well. Um, so I think his performance there, and then you just pair that with Alabama and those seven quarterback pressures against. And you get those quarterback pressures versus Bryce Young, and it's something to say because he gets rid of it so quickly, right? Um, so I think those are really two that stand out to me. All right. What about his personality? What's he like off the field? I mean, how much did you get a chance to get to know him and what's his personality like? Yeah. So I mentioned the the couple of games he was able to uh, be captain for Georgia, which is big when you Kirby smart. He doesn't give those to everybody. Uh, he really expects a lot out of his senior leaders. So, you know, Trayvon getting two of those games this year, I think points to a, a good place in, in his personality and his accountability as a leader and a player. You know, I haven't heard of any issues that 
any of the coaches had with him during his time. He's always been a, a, a kind of a lower motion guy, you know, keeps to himself, but he's a leader by example, uh, right? Because, you know, we saw him, you know, play really well in these clutch moments and guys look up to him. Those guys who are underneath and, and playing like Tramel Warther, he's, he's going to come in next year and, and take that place from Trayvon. You know, that him and his mentorship for him, I think has really paid dividends because I've heard nothing but good things um, this offseason from Tramel about Trayvon. So I really think he's in a good spot to, um, you know, as he enters the NFL and, and, you know, coming from those Georgia practices and a lot of good leadership they have here at UGA, I think he's in a good spot. I really do. So what about, I know there's so many players from Georgia that are going to be drafted this year. It's just such a talented team. Uh, you know, if there are one or two players that really stand out in your mind that you think could instantly become uh, contributors on an NFL team, who would those be that maybe Texans fans should look out for? You know, he he has been talked about a lot and in the combine process. I know he didn't run. N'Kobe Dean to me stands out so much. I, I don't know why he's not, you know, talked more about a top 10 pick. Um, I can see him going top 10 easily just because he is the Buckus Award winner. Last year, best linebacker. He won it in high school. He had over a 4.0 GPA here at Georgia. And the way he can range, and you, we saw it in plays against Florida, especially, go back and look at that game. I mean, he's running 60 yards across the field and taking a running back out five yards in the flat just from a play he diagnosed. The vocal leader by far of this Georgia defense the last two years. He reminds me so much of Roquan Smith if we remember just in Georgia's national championship run in 2017 um, when he was coming out, you know, there's been knocks around his size, you know, the same knocks happened to Roquan Smith and he was coming out and Roquan's, you know, one of the best young linebackers in the league. So the Kobe Dean is one to keep your eye out on. I think he's, he's day one contributor um, as a rookie. I really do. He does not miss tackles. Um, he could diagnose plays. I'm interested to see what he runs on his pro day. I think he's going to really surprise people in that 40 and his quickness and his short range quickness as well. So that's one player to look, but as you said, there's so many I can maybe choose from. Lewis Seen at safety is another one that really stands out to me. Another guy who just doesn't miss tackles and really can range. He, he, had a, he ran a great 40. That was the knock on him coming in to the combine, but he ran under a 4.5. I think it was 4.4.3, four, I want to say. Um, no, it was, it was a 4.3. He ran in the 4.3 range. So it was a great combine from Lewis as well. So, But yeah, there's a lot of guys to choose from here. All right. Looking forward to it. That's J.C. Shelton covers Georgia Bulldogs for UGA Live. And you can also catch his podcast, UGA Football Live with J.C. Shelton. J.C., thank you so much for the time. We're looking forward to seeing where all these Georgia Bulldogs land. Thanks, D.P. Yeah, me as well. It's, it's going to be a fun draft. There's D.P. City with J.C. Shelton of Georgia Wire coming up on Texans Radio. Travis Johnson, a Where Are They Now, which you can find on the website, HoustonTexans.com or the Texans app. Good conversation with former first-round draft choice Travis Johnson from 2005 out of Florida State. Drew Doherty checks in with him next on Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio. You know, on the website, HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app, we have a section called Where Are They Now? On former Texans players, we call them legends. That's part of an NFL program of former players. Travis Johnson, first-round draft choice, 2005. We wanted to catch up with him. And this interview, you might have seen it on Texans 360, on the website a little bit, but let's listen into some of it as Drew Doherty catches up with the former Texans defensive lineman, Travis Johnson. First things first, where are you these days and what are you doing? Man, I'm still in Missouri City with my family, uh, hanging out, uh, doing ambassador stuff uh, and legs and stuff for the Texans. Um, man, I'm just being dad, really. 
My wife drags me around in our van all the time, takes me from place to place with our children. We just got back from Louisiana late last night for a softball tournament, Lake Charles. So it's 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 constantly a full day, man. But I, I'm excited, man. And I'm just I'm happy to still be around, man. Every day you find out another one of your teammates have passed. So it's just wonderful just to be seen. Amen. And it's always good to see you. You've made the joke before because you have a few kids. I have a few kids, and you joke that we've been fruitful and we've multiplied, but you've got four children. Is that five? Five. You got five. I've got five. Yeah. What are the age ranges, boys, girls, and what's the oldest? What's the youngest? How's that work? Oh, oh, three girls, two boys. Okay. 16, 15, 14, 12, and 10. They are awesome, man. They are really are awesome. Uh, I can't complain, brother. I, I have wonderful kids. My two oldest are uh, National Honor Society kids. Uh, they are top 10% of their class. So I'm so excited about that. My three youngest are all phenomenal students, phenomenal athletes. My son, he's, he still hadn't had a growth spurt yet, but he's about 5'9", 170 pounds. You know, he wants to play tight end. I'm like, you don't want to play tight end, son. What do you want him to play? I mean, O-line, D-line, man, to be honest with you. You know, yeah. I just think longevity and, you know, you control your own destiny, man, playing those positions. You play tight end and you mess around and have a terrible quarterback, man, never get the ball. You'd be the best damn tight end in the world never seen when it's all said and done because your quarterback could never get you the ball. So, How much coaching are you doing with uh, all man, your children, not just in football? Well, you know, I'm just uh, – I, 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 don't, I don't really coach – uh, anymore, uh, but I, I, you know, I coach them every day as, as yeah. being a parent, you know, and that's the biggest thing for me is, you know, uh, with Travis, and when he was younger, I coached him a lot, you know, and um, I kind of, I kind of watched as he, as he started to kind of tune me out, you know, in my ears, uh, I mean, in his ears, right, and going one in out the other, so I kind of changed up the strategy with the with the next two, and was like, you know what. If I just talk to them when they're home, or I'll record their stuff, and then we'll, we'll watch it together, and we'll get—I'll give them feedback. It'd be a lot different than me yelling at them in the moment. Yeah, and it is—it has worked wonderfully because the two—the the two babies have—you know—they've blossomed. They've—they've—they've—they've—they've understand it. They have uh, took the feedback. They took the criticism. And, you know, they, they continue to try to get better all the time. And I love it, man. I love every minute of it because I'm watching it happen from being a guy to step back and say, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't want you to stop listening to me. And I got to figure out another way. So that was pretty cool. You know, it's really interesting you talk about that because we've done a few of these now. And it's a common refrain, whether it's children of you know, former NFL players or just children of your own children, they don't listen as much to their parents as they do to their actual coaches. They kind of tune out. So it's cool that you have found a way to connect with them and get them to listen to you. Cause. Oh yeah, oh, yeah man. Uh, Cause they, you know, for some reason they don't, they, they feel like we don't know anything, you know, like, <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't the 1% of the 1%. Right. Right. You know I mean? Like I had to tell Travis is dude, I'm not going to lie to you. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to tell you, you're doing something that you're not doing. You know what I mean? Because I'll be like, hey, son, uh, in your stance, you you know, you were a little crooked here. Your knee was out this way. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I'm like, dude, I'm watching it. 
what are you talking about? I see it right here. Look at this. And then he's like, but the rest of them is like, okay, okay, okay. I fix right. it. I fix it. You know what I'm saying? For him, it'd be, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. I didn't do it. Like, I'm like, all right, uh, dude. You know what I mean? Like, you got it. You take it. Go with yeah. it. I, I, I like that we are able to get a little, that we were able to change it up a little bit. And now all of them kind of see it. You know, even the two oldest. And I got to tell them, I'm like, dude, I don't take y'all to the gym to punish you. I don't work you like I worked in my secretary. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the more you work, the better they get. Everybody's like, "Oh, you got to give them a break." No, I they play sports. All, they play different sports all year round. They go to practice one day. They might work out the next day. Everybody's like, "Why?" I'm like, "Well, I got three girls. The more they working, the the more likely boys ain't coming around." <laughs> and, uh, the more it's a double edged sword, right? Yeah, it's your your yeah. multi prong approach. That's great. Yeah. So uh, for me, we don't work, man. You know, it's just you know, I, I work them because I know the more they work, the better they get. They don't realize I'm also just keeping them out of trouble, man. You know what I mean? As long as they know this is how you live life. You get up, you go to work out, you work, you work for you work for your for your goals, and then I think they see it differently now. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I like it. All right, you just said the one percent of the one percent. So let's rewind. You grew up in Southern California. You go to Florida State. Tell me about draft day when you get picked in the first round by the Houston Texans back in 2005. What was that like? Man, it's, you know, it's kind of funny, Drew, because, you know, I have told the story a few times. Yeah, I've heard it, yeah, but I, I it, want it, the folks it, to it, hear it. Draft day, I'm on the West Coast, and I'm tra- I am trained out there the entire draft process to go home. You know, my agent was from around the corner, Gary Richard. He lived in Westlake. I lived in Oak Park. So I'm, I'm staying at my parents' house. Well, I got a condo, but I'm staying at my parents' house that day and because i'm like all right we're gonna get up we'll have a party but i'm still my body is still wakes up on florida time like clockwork yeah so you know the draft at the time you know it didn't start until well i want to say 11 o'clock 10 o'clock west coast time maybe Mm -hmm. and which is you know which is uh one o'clock uh florida time so i'm i'm up early and I'm dressed. I'm like, man, when are we going to get started? Longest and morning it, of your life? Oh, yeah. And then yeah. you remember back then, Drew, each pick was like 20 minutes, 25. Yeah. And, and for those that are, that are not familiar, the draft was on Saturday and Sunday. It didn't start yeah. Thursday night. It, yet it was Saturday, no. Sunday. Long, long days. Long days. So it was – I remember the draft started at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I got picked at like 2 o'clock, maybe Three, yeah, maybe three or uh, even yeah, probably three. And mind you, not guys, I was pick sixteen, <laughs> and it was like hours, like real hours, like four or five hours of the draft. It went by already. I get on the phone. Carol Dotto Nelson got on the phone after you know Dom. I was talking to Dom and talked to Charlie. Like, hey, would you like to be a uh, Texan? So yeah, I would love to be. But uh, you know, it's, it, it was such an honor. We are the one percent of one percent. Nobody gets to do this. Yeah. There's 30,000 of us to ever play. There's 20,000 of us living. There's even less than that has played over four years. So you can't say no, you know, and that's one of the things where, you know, it just was such a blessing because, you know, the Texans have changed my life. That's why, that's why I'm, you know, everybody, everybody always laughs. They're like, man, why are you always defending, you know, the Texans? I'm like, dude, they changed my life. You know, wouldn't you defend somebody who, who's always been good to you? You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't you defend somebody who money still pays your bills? 
Wouldn't you defend somebody who gave you a home when you didn't have a home? Wouldn't you defend somebody who always been righteous with you? You know, I laughed because we went to the concert the other night for the rodeo. Yeah. I got the only picture up of a former player with me and Bob in, inside of his suite, man. And really? that kind of, made, yeah, man, it made me smile. I literally was like smiling ear to ear, like, dude, look, Travis is still up in this. You know what I'm saying? And I, I loved it. Like, I was just like, holy, I'm still up. Yeah. Cool. So draft day was long. You remember how long it was. Oh, man. yeah. And what was that uh, like when you got to, you came to Houston like the next day, didn't you? You flew no, in town. So I came to Houston. So this, hey, so this is crazy. I get drafted. I guess, like I said, it was two, three. I can't remember exactly what time it was. Right. But Carol Dotto Nelson, who used to be our travel lady. She there, still is. Yeah, she still is. Yeah. So Carol calls me. It was like, hey, there's a six o'clock flight or seven o'clock flight. Is it possible you can get on that flight and, st- and, uh, and get here? That was probably the one thing I should have said no to because I should have came early in the morning instead of late at night because I didn't get to party with my family. My whole family's at the house. Finally, they, the party started after I got drafted. Right. You know, I, I wasn't the guy I, during the draft. I only had my mother, my father, my brother and sisters around me. And then we were supposed to have like a family get together starting about five, six o'clock. Why well, did you get to see any of them that day? They all partied on my dollar, drank all my liquor up, and I didn't get to I didn't get to do any of that. In fairness, though, you have celebrated quite a bit since from oh, time to time. Of course, <laughs> of course. But you know what? I'm a big. You know what? Being the son of immigrant, I'm a big family guy. Yeah, and we have a big, huge family, and I love like I love being around my family. Like when I went back for the Super Bowl this past year, I had tickets to the game. Didn't go to the game because I wanted to watch it with my cousins. And you're you, know? you said a son of an immigrant, Panamanians. Just yes. for folks that don't know. So for, for me, like family is everything, you know, and we, yeah. we've always been, you know, the first time we were apart was when I went off to college and it was like, man, we haven't seen Travis in a while, you know? So, but, uh, I, I fly up here that night. So I get, so matter of fact, I go to NFL network. I sit down with Rich Eisen. I sit down with those guys. Uh, cause that was right down the road from me, right. uh, on the way to the airport. I go to Santa Monica, I sit at NFL Network, I leave NFL Network, I go get on the plane. Me and my brother, my big brother comes with me. We And so we land here in Houston like 11, 15 at night. And I'm sitting there like, I'm thinking like, okay, we're going to do a press conference now. And the reason why I should have said no, because they were like, oh, no, it's tomorrow morning. Tomorrow <laughs> morning? We didn't have a red eye to Houston? You know, I'm like, I could have left at 3 in the morning or anything. Not knowing what I know now, because I'm like, you could have put me on Southwest and I would have been more than happy, you know, but it was like first class. Yep. It was, it was dope, man. You know, it was, it was real dope. But I remember getting here and they had me up at uh, a hotel way out by Bush at the time. They had me up mm. there uh, that night and me and my brother was in a hotel room. It's like, Hey man, this is, this is different. This has changed. And, uh, you know, did the press conference the next day. I met Dom. For what, the second time I met Dom, met Dom, talked to uh, Charlie, talked to Bobby Greer, all of those guys here. And it was just, it was such a, a surreal moment, man. Like, yeah, it, it, it like, I, I can't, I can't even describe the feeling of going that high and all your goals, all your dreams, the first part of them coming true. You know what I mean? Like it was, 
I remember having on on my wall, like, this is where I'm gonna go. Like at the time, there's only 31 teams when I first got in the league, when I first got the count. And just as my first little minor goal, I put myself right about 15. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go right here. Just because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be arrogant that I'm going number one. Right. But I wrote it down and I walked past it every day for four and a half years in school. And then to go pick 16, like it brought tears to my eyes because I'm like, I'm I like I, like I spoke this into existence. You know what I'm saying? Like I I I I willed myself and manifest like manifestly put work into to get all the things that I wanted in life. And I can't I don't regret a minute of it, Drew. I really don't. You know, every I didn't I didn't finish with a hundred sacks, I didn't finish with 10 Pro Bowls. I'm not going to the Hall of Fame, but everybody I played with, they speak highly of me. They talk about what type of teammate I was. Yeah, you know, and that's I'm glad you bring that up because you know, I've I've done this podcast now for about a year and I've got, talked with guys who were, you know, here in 2002. I've talked with guys who are a little bit further down the line that got drafted and you sort of are a connector to guys from the beginning and guys who were drafted just 5 6 years ago. I mean, you've got a, a wide range of you've collected a wide range of friends, I guess you could say, um well, in all this. Well, I mean, I'm I'm very accessible, Drew. You know what I mean? And, and I'm and I'm and I'm a, I'm an open book. You know, I, I yeah. don't like, I don't lie. Like I didn't lie to none of the young guys. Like I still talk, you know, uh, every blue moon to, to 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 four. You know what I mean? Like just because I, you know, I'm I just as when when Cal and Hannah asked me to be an ambassador, I took it seriously. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. It wasn't for me. Of just going and 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 meeting with companies and all that other stuff. It, it meant to me as being an ambassador of the brand. You know what I'm saying? As, as far as let the kid, let the young guys know what the standard is. Let the young guys know what it is to be a Houston Texan. Let the young guys know, you know, because around here, you know, it was always about family. You know, it was always, yeah. you know, it was always about how you go to work, how you go about your work. You know, and I just wanted to let let them see that. You know, and let them know like. Listen, if there's anything you need to talk about, man, I'm here, man. I, I want – we didn't have any older guys when I got in the league. We were the old guys. You right. know what I'm saying? Like all the older guys were on the team still, you know, or not in the league. Like, it just was – that's just how it was. And I want to be I, – I, I feel like the Texans can be the Pittsburgh Steelers when we are as old as the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know right. what I'm saying? It takes guys like myself. It takes guys like Andre. It takes guys like uh, Earl Mitchell. It takes guys like uh, – uh, all the guys before, like during that the earlier days, to embrace the young guys and say, "This is how we did things here." Yeah, we might not have won a lot of ball games, but we 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 had a certain standard. This is how this type of teammate we are. This type of work we go about because you know one thing is the media say one thing about me as a, a player and because of statistics and all other stuff. Right. But nobody, ever, everybody I played with always said, "Man, he worked hard. He did everything he was asked to do." And he was just he was just a dog in between. He was a sideline to sideline, no seatbelt type of guy. And you knew you could always – he had the best ability in the world. He was dependable. And he still is for sure. Travis Johnson, great to hear from him. And Drew Doherty in a Where Are They Now segment here on Texans Radio. Thanks to J.C. Shelton for being on with D.P. Sidhu. Johnny Harris, of course. Tomorrow's Draft Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Austin, for producing. Have a great night. And go Texans.